Hello and welcome to Draw, Lose or Draw, a weekly podcast covering all things Partick Thistle. Before we got on to the football this week, the Hamilton draw, the Queen's Park game coming up, myself and David chatted to Stuart Callison, member of the Jags Foundation, about all that's been going on with fan ownership this week. We understand that not everybody tunes in for that, so if you want to skip to hear about just the football, you can skip about 26 minutes ahead. But in the meantime, enjoy our chat with Stuart. Myself and David have now been joined by Stuart Callison. Stuart, thanks very much for joining us. You're welcome. Um, I, I know you've been on the pod once before, but just in case um, anyone missed that, do you want to quickly just start by telling us a bit about yourself and your role with the, the Jags Foundation? Yes, of course. Um, I've been a Thistle fan since 1970, through uh, thick and generally thin. Uh, I got involved, asked to get involved, actually. Ha! Uh, Thanks for that. Back in about 2019 in the uh, original working group and, and Jags Foundation board um, to pursue what we thought was the goal of fan ownership. Um, I did resign, as I think we talked about last time, uh, out of frustration of the way things were going. It wasn't so much frustration with colleagues, uh, but the, the whole process. And then, of course, when uh, all the toys came out the cram and People were told that they weren't fit and proper to be uh, yeah, receiving shares. I worked with others to rally and keep the organisation going. And we've been very, very successful in that, at least, <laughs> I think it'd be fair to say. When the previous statement was made in April, the Jacks Foundation, just not to the right sorts of people. I think there were about 430 members. Uh, 20 minutes ago, we signed up our 700th member. So that is a very significant increase in membership. So we're still going. Numbers have risen quite substantially even since Monday night. So this is not over by any means. And I can come back later to, you know, what I think might happen next. And, uh, you know, we don't have a crystal ball, but uh, I definitely have some views about why this is still needed, even if fan ownership isn't on the agenda in the immediate future. 700 um, members, that's an impressive milestone. You mentioned Monday night there, that was obviously a, a huge moment and the, the process of the club becoming fan-owned and an unfortunate one from, I think, everyone on this call's point of view. Do you want to talk us through from April sure. to Monday night, if you can? Sure. sure. Um, now, we, we set up a negotiating team uh, with uh, a you know, balance of people <laughs> Very diplomatic, though not including myself, in fact, um, quite purposely. So that team worked and took quite a, you know, a lot of high-handed treatment into the bargain, just set out in the statement that was published yesterday. I think they, they list the kinds of things that went on. I would say, though, that over the last two or three months, although board members have tried to bring 
some kind of deal back for members to vote on because a democratic organization it's not down to me or half a dozen others to decide what would and wouldn't be acceptable however i would say that where we'd got to there wasn't any way in which we would as a board be rec have been recommending what tbc want to members because it was crystal clear that they would not contemplate any kind of financial checks however limited however secretive you know it was even offered that a couple of our accountant members would do the review and not communicate with other board members uh, they wouldn't share the information even with other tgf board members that wasn't acceptable either there was to be no financial scrutiny allowed whatsoever which of course is not something that i personally would have recommended to people but it might have been that you know other members would have just would have been able to see a way past that. I don't think so, but they might. So we gritted our teeth and carried on and put forward um, working protocols, which I think we might have talked about before, which are basically sets of rules that govern the relationship between the fans board uh, and the club board, which operates day to day. And here, I think we gradually, light dawned, I can't believe how naive I was for such a long time, but light dawned that when BBC, Jackie Lowe and Peter Shand were talking about the club, that fans owning the club but not running the club. This didn't ring warning bells for all of the people who had been involved because we thought that meant what it always means in the context of fan-owned clubs. A fans board sets the strategy, checks, you know, reviews budgets and finances and key decisions about investment and so forth, you know, big ticket items, uh, a long-term plan. But they don't get involved in running the club as you or I would understand it, not appointing the manager, the staff, day-to-day -day administration or anything of that sort. And that is genuinely, like I say, I feel a bit naive, what we thought was meant by this. However, it did become clear that the sorts of protocols, rules, governance rules, whatever you want to call it, are in place at Motherwell, at Exeter, uh, Wimbledon, and learn all the other kind of fan-owned clubs to just to regulate this and work perfectly well in all these situations. But none of this was acceptable to Three Black Hats. In my opinion, they didn't want fan ownership in any shape or form and they had no intention of allowing it. Uh, and that's the bottom line. We, our guys did persevere, like I say, even though you know, maybe they were... <laughs> wouldn't have really been able to come back and say, you know, this, this sounds great. Uh, you'll own the shares, but you'll be able to do absolutely nothing with them at all. I wouldn't have voted for that. Maybe you uh, you probably wouldn't have voted for that. But we were absolutely prepared to put that to a democratic vote. But it never got that far, of course. And you know what? I don't think it ever would have, because I'm fairly sure we were just being strung along until they found something more congenial. I just want to come back to one of your points on the, the financial checks. And I did read you the email that the Jags Foundation sent out yesterday, but you'll do a better job of explaining this than me. The due diligence the Jags Foundation wanted to to carry out, why was this so important for the Jags Foundation to, to be able to do this before a potential transfer of shares? It's important. It's important in any such transaction. Indeed, we I do think we have on record somewhere that when Ms Lowe and uh, colleagues came back into the, or first came into the club, they did actually carry out basic diligence checks themselves. So there you are. But it's important because before fans take on significant responsibilities, they need to know what they are. 
Morton, for example, their supporters had long and open conversations with their, their previous owners about the kinds of things that they're going to have to deal with. Floodlights are in dire state at Cap Hill. You'll not be possibly amazed to know. So there are all kinds of potential liabilities that an owner's organisation, a fan-owned group, would really want to know about. How much money are we going to have to raise? Where will that money be required most? Uh, you know, what are your long-term plans? Details of any borrowing, although we don't believe that there is any. You know, you have to carry out these kinds of checks before you take on what will be a significant responsibility, financial responsibility. We didn't want to. I didn't want to just arrive on day one and find the whole thing is in a terrible financial state. And suddenly we've got to come back to our members and other fans and say, uh, sorry, folks, <laughs> this needs done, this needs done. We need a quarter of a million for the, the Jackie husband roof, which I believe is the case. <laughs> um, but what else is there? Yeah. So I hope that I've explained it adequately. Well, I wanted to mention about because we read through the full 22 page pdf and in, in preparation for this and some of this stuff was it was quite well the, the one that really stuck out to me was you mentioned about the due diligence about levels of extremity you were willing to go to to kind of get due diligence done what it was going to be i think it was you was it, i think maybe you and sandy fife and, that, sandy and Andrew, who are the other sandy two and Andrew, yeah um, yeah. who were going to be in a locked room with a person watching them. They weren't allowed to have a phone or a laptop in them or take anything in or any notes or anything like that. And they would get yes. to see it for like an hour or two and then that was it. And it, pretty it's just drastic, bizarre. Right? Pretty, pretty drastic, but that was still not acceptable. Why, why would an individual deny due diligence in your opinion, Stuart? I don't know. I, wouldn't, I, I mean, we could only speculate and that's all it would be. However, one thing I definitely would say is that TBC's uh, in-house lawyer, someone who uh, whose contempt for football fans in general and Thistle fans in particular was made apparent on numerous occasions. He just had no interest in us or even being polite to the guys. And this was true of their predecessors as well. Uh, they claimed that there were legal reasons, which we couldn't possibly understand, of course, uh, which would preclude the club board from allowing such diligence checks because it was a gift. The shares were a gift. Now, we took independent legal advice from sports lawyers at Martin Fraser, who specialists, and they basically said that's nonsense. There is no reason other than that they don't want to allow it. Now, the ground is falling to pieces. I see, I don't think there's any, certainly not in the last published set of accounts, is there any sign of any provision being made to fix the multiple flaws? Plus, you have to look at monies we had last year that we don't know. The Queen's Park ground share, that was quite a significant amount of money. Uh, my understanding from UPFC contacts is it was well over £100,000. Um, there would have been COVID grants, furlough grants last year at the start of the season, if you remember. The fans raised £90,000. Uh, so we're getting up to about a quarter of a million at least of money from last year that just isn't there now. Um, and I haven't seen any signs of you know cutbacks across the board. So if we are not successful this season on the field, that's going. The club only has about half a million pounds in the bank, or did about twelve months or so ago. Again, publicly available information. So you know, if they rack out big lots in one year, we're getting very close to the wire, and we still aren't fixing the state of our ground. I mean, I don't. I, every time I go to Fairhill now, it's just so obvious. That the thing is decaying, is rotting away. 
underneath us. That is great. Somebody said to me, you know, oh, as long as things are all fine on the pitch, fans won't worry too much. Yeah, up to a point. Yeah. But at some point, quite soon, these off-field problems are going to start to feed into the performance on the pitch. And I suspect it won't be that that long. And then, of course, you have other issues, um, which we've all seen even since the start of the season, a website that crashed. Hundreds of people shut outside the ground at kickoff on Saturday. Tickets from Dundee that weren't put on sale in timely fashion. There are more, aren't there? These are just the ones that spring to mind. I mentioned the thing about Hamilton fans being co-located with our family section. The club is falling to pieces off the field and around the field. And that is not a healthy situation. Uh, and that is why, even if fan ownership is going to have to be uh, part, we're not going to walk away from that idea. Absolutely not. Because who's going to fix this if not us? But we can't walk away and I, because too much needs to be done about this. Business as usual, which seems to be the intention, just isn't good enough for Project Thistle. This is one thing I wanted to mention about, obviously, the sort of shortcomings um, that, that we have at the moment. A lot of them are shortcomings for us as as Thistle fans who go week in, week out. Like, So, for example, I went on Saturday and I bought my season ticket on Friday night because I'm late for everything. And I couldn't get in for about 20 minutes because my season ticket didn't work. I had to go in and get a comp, all that. Um, which is fair enough. A lot, you know, part of that is in me, not you know, because I didn't buy it in good enough time, right? Fair enough. But if you're, say, for example, I don't know, say you're a a Morton fan, or you know, it's someone who is not a Fissel fan, who's not in the week to week sort of goings on at Fissel. There's a lot that you would think that there's a lot to be positive about. I mean, I mean obviously the squad is backed. We've got players in and stuff like that, as well as that. Um, you know, stuff like the free bus tickets or season tickets and things like that. There, there, there is things you know around the club where, from a distance, it looks like okay, the, 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 they've kind of they've got some they've got stuff in order. But it's when you kind of look at it a bit closer and you see that obviously there is stuff that really needs to be improved. But the thing is, is that for me, for all the good things, because it clearly feels that there is there is sort of an element of stuff like the bus tickets and things that it's always a very very good thing to do. But as well as that is kind of trying to mismatch yet again because the codes didn't work. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know very well that mistakes happen. Mistakes happen. Things go yeah. wrong. But if they go wrong with the frequency that they go wrong at Fair Hill, then you're not talking about just you know human error. You're talking about something that's just not working properly at all. Yeah, but the thing I was going to say is that with those sort of things where like obviously bus ticket codes not working you know not being able to scan him go get a comp ticket in the sort of grand scheme of things are quite minute things that affect people on a, a personal level going to for hill but there's going to come a time where there are bad decisions made that are on a more grandiose scale that are bigger that affect us far more where if, say for example you know, the budget is cut back or something exactly. and there is no, there is no accountability because what what voices do we have to say no? Because at the moment our voices are things like this podcast and people putting open letters on Twitter and kind of engaging online. There there is no way to communicate with the board at the moment, and that's kind of what for me what it's about is that there's got to be some sort of way of communicating and making it known that there needs to be a veto, there needs to be checks and balances that are just not there at the moment. Yeah, I I, I don't think there is too much to ask. Personally, 
Absolutely. This is not about stuff on the field, but like I say, guys, it will feed through when cuts have to be made or when the money runs out or of course it will. Of course it will. And that won't be the fault of the manager or the coaching staff or anyone else. I think just we don't know because they don't won't tell us. They won't tell us. But there's plenty of reason to be worried about the financial state of the club. Uh, that's not just my opinion, it's the opinion of other accountants and indeed plenty of fans that I've spoken to. Uh, indeed, if you want an independent view of this, and I don't quite know how they did it, but not long ago, there was a survey of football clubs, which included about seven of the championship teams. And there was a, rec- a daily record article, if you can find it. Uh, it was, the, the, the research was by John Moore's university, and it was sponsored by Betfair or something. I don't remember why. Uh, but they looked at the, you might remember this, it was looking at how good an investment different football clubs would be. In other words, if you were, if you had 100 grand or whatever and you wanted to, for some unknown reason, to present a football club, what would be the best bet? Uh, and they ranked these clubs on a variety of criteria on and off the field. But one of the four main criteria was the financial stability of the club judged by the publicly available information. They don't know any more than I do. Matic Thistle comes out as one of the poorest performing clubs in Scotland or England that they surveyed on those criteria. And indeed, the reason it got into the record, I think that Ayr and Arbroath were highlighted as particularly well-run clubs. So there you are. There's an independent example of somebody taking a look at the club's accounts, as we have done, uh, quite dispassionately. Um, as an academic research exercise and come up with the conclusion this club is not in a strong financial position. Stuart, you've spoken a bit there about the, the potential future of the club. What does the future hold for the Jags Foundation and its members? Good. Yep, excellent question. Listen, we're not, like I say, we're not going to go away. Uh, we might have to accept that fan ownership is not on the agenda in the most, in the immediate future, but the one thing that we have definitely succeeded in doing over the last few months, we've created the biggest independent and democratic supporters association in the club's recent history, maybe ever. 700 members as of half past eight this evening. That's grown substantially in the last 24 hours. It's grown since April from 434 to 700. Big increase. We've introduced a kind of lower membership rate with a, a real eye, of course, to the cost of living crisis so that and you know not just to allow people who maybe haven't been able to afford it so far but anyone who has afforded it so far and feels i need to cut back so that they don't need to resign they'll still have full rights still have a say we want to build this organization up even further so that there is a strong voice doing what you suggested guys and that is holding the club formally to account uh, and the evidence so far because if Nobody wanted to follow these calls. We'd have to sort of pack it in, wouldn't we? But the evidence so far is that personal fans do want that. Like I say, um, they've been joining in significant numbers just in the last day. So we will we will continue to look at this. We will continue to hold them to the fire. Uh, we will work with other fan-owned clubs. I've reached out to Supporters Direct Scotland, for example. We will talk to people at Hearts, Mullable, St Mirren and elsewhere, who some of whom have already expressed sympathy for the situation we find ourselves in. Um, we will continue to sort of highlight example, good examples of, of um, fan practice. We 
warned people if they if they can afford it to keep paying the the high rate of subscriptions if they can afford it because we do want to sort of build up a significant fighting fund for the club the board of directors don't seem to regard that as terribly important so and this is a member's decision not mine maybe we will put that into working with jacks for good for example doing a tremendous amount at the moment maybe we'll do something different but we will continue to fundraise we will continue to be there will continue to be a thorn in their flesh <laughs> if by some miracle next week there are you know secret fans who are wealthy who are pledging to bring in 50 100 grand a year to be on this new body uh, and they want to talk to us brilliant we're product thistle fans we're not fan ownership fanatics but if it's just a sock puppet organization with a few hand-picked folk and look it's now the fans own the club. Uh, we are definitely going to keep pointing out the flaws of that. And by the looks of things, that's what people want us to do. Absolutely. I think uh, myself and David would be right behind that, as would a lot of our listeners. I've got one more question, and I don't know if David's getting any more. Uh, just a bit of clarity on. So the you've obviously introduced £1 uh, membership yep. payments per month. Lots of people have been paying £10, uh, 5 So this is going to raise tens of thousands of pounds a year uh, for the club. So what is the plan with, with those funds or for the foundation, I should, I should say? Well, you know what? It's a little early to say, definitely. Uh, and that is a decision that would need to be taken democratically by members themselves. Uh, so it would be completely wrong for me to say we're going to spend it on X and Y. And the truth is we haven't really had time to think that through yet anyway. Um, I personally will not be keen to hand over money directly to the current board of directors, not at all. Uh, but it's not like I say, it's not, it's, that's my choice not to do that with my money. But there'll be this will be democratically decided. I think I would probably like to keep banking a lot of money because, to be perfectly honest with you guys, and for some of the reasons I've outlined, sooner or later, I think the club is going to need once again a lot of help from its fans. And if we have been doing fundraising built up that fighting fund, then that could make all the difference in the future. But there's lots of other things we could do. And my personal view would be let's improve the fan experience. Let's work with Jags for Goods, Proud Jags, improve the experience around the ground. But I, for me, I wouldn't be giving money to this current board. Definitely not. Delighted that you're obviously still going with it. It would be easy enough to just you know, chuck the towel in once you, you get this sort of thing. So I imagine it must have been very demoralising um, for yourselves. I mean, it's demoralising for me, and I'm not even on the board. I, I think that you, uh, No Jack Foundation, have shown themselves over the last couple of months to be um, effective communicators and worthwhile pressure group um, to kind of again keep keep the board on their toes and keep stuff in the public domain. And I think these these sort of things, it's it's keeping it in the public consciousness because if you, you don't talk about it, you don't leave it and you leave it alone, it's it's going to disappear. And then that, that's what they want. They want everyone to kind of just brush it under the carpet and let them keep on going business as usual. And yeah, um, it's encouraging to see and I'm excited to see what the future is. Thank you, guys. That's that's your support uh, and that of your listeners is very important to us because we are just fans. We just, I would love just to go back to just kind of shouting for and add the team on a Saturday. But I am genuinely worried. That is, has always been my motivation for getting involved. I think that we have a vision. We have a plan for the club, if we were ever allowed to uh, deliver on it, that is. I 
wonder what the plan is from the current board of management, because I certainly don't see one. Um, it's a thought. I looked this up and wasn't a closing thought that worries me. Then since the turn of the century, since 2000, 21, I think, Scottish clubs have gone into administration. Some of them, Dundee, twice. Um, and it can happen very, very easily, even when things appear to be okay on the field. So I don't think we should be at all blasé uh, about the state of our club and the way it's being run. Uh, I think there's so many warning signals uh, that we should all be very watchful uh, and keep up the pressure however we can. Thanks very much for joining us, Stuart. Um, and Pleasure. Pleasure. as I said to you, like we are happy to have yourself, anyone from the Jags Foundation, on, on at any time. And it's <laughs> probably also worth mentioning that we have uh, openly invited anyone from Three Black Cats or the, the new fan-centric group who are the expected recipients of the, the shares to come on at any time as well. So, Stuart, thanks very much for your time tonight. You're very welcome. Joining me this week to look back on a bizarre day at Fur Hill, Jamie McDonald. Jamie, how are you? Yeah, I'm not bad. Obviously, it feels a bit frustrating yesterday's game, but like two points dropped, but we moved still unbeaten, top of the table somehow, so not too bad. We sure are. Reese Aldane's here. Reese, are you well? I am okay. I mean, it wasn't the most aesthetically pleasing game yesterday, but as we all say, like, we're top of the league after two games, so... Can't be too down. And rounding off our panel is David Forrest. David, how are you? Hello, I'm well. I'd planned to do this introduction in Gaelic to piss off some of our support, but um, I get sidetracked and despite going to a school with a Gaelic unit and watching lots of Danish when I was a kid, I still don't know any Gaelic. So yes, I am well. I was going to do it in Polish, but then I remembered that I don't actually care about Polish. I only want to annoy people that care about Gaelic. So I, I didn't do it in Polish and we'll take no further action to to invest in anything Polish, despite that being my, my main point of argument. You shouldn't operate anyone from Poland, by the way, if you are listening. 
Yes, apologies to any Polish listeners. Ziggy, if you're listening. Um, Jamie, I'll start with you. So it was a 1-1 draw at home to Hamilton yesterday. The starting 11, we, sp- we spent a lot of the podcast uh, last week discussing what we'd do with a full strength back four. And of course, we didn't have that. It was an unchanged starting 11. How did you feel when you saw the starting 11? What was your mood walking up to for Hill yesterday? I mean, I felt fine saying it wasn't like I was unconfident. That team played well for the majority of the game up at Dundee. Obviously, it's not ideal having Turner at right back. I think he does put in a shift there, and it's not like he can't do that job. But I'd rather see him play in midfield. And McMillan, I think, is a bit wasted at centre-back. I think he does operate a lot better at full-back. But again, he can do a job uh, in that position. So, obviously, we saw Brownlee come on in the second half. So, it looks like, hopefully, for the Queen's Park game, Brownlee will be back in the back four. And Turner or whoever will have this discussion again about who's going to go in midfield. But I was reasonably confident seeing it, and we, you know, because I thought it's a it's a strong it's a strong lineup. We've got good options, like we said lots of times. So yeah, I was pretty confident seeing it. Bruce, what about you? Were you pretty happy with the starting eleven? We discussed last week. Nobody really deserved to be dropped after the Dundee game. Uh, what was what was your mood going into it yesterday? Yeah, just the same. I thought it's pretty fair enough for the starting eleven. They all put in a very good shift against Dundee last week, and it just goes to show that Darren Brownlee probably wasn't quite ready for a full ninety. Um, and as I say, barring that, I don't think there can be any complaints for match day two of the new season. So it's good for Brownlee just to get that whatever it might have been thirty-five minutes, half an hour in, under under his belt. So I can't have any complaints. David, I know you weren't really planning on going to Farhill until you, you saw that there'd be some some street performance <laughs> at half time, and then then we we couldn't take take you away from that. What what was your mood walking up and Farhill Road on Saturday? It's a really odd one because we talked in the first game about how it was such a collector's item. We'll never see this lineup again because it was so makeshift. We really enjoyed it. It's a team that we'll remember fondly in the future about that back line, Kyle Turner right back, what a novelty it was. No one expected it to be the same back four. I was happy to see the same lineup because I was excited to see them trying to pick up the momentum they got from the Dundee game. They played so well against Dundee that you couldn't really fault them for picking the same team. They had all performed really well and it seemed really harsh to drop somebody. We talked about that in the last pod, but um, it was just very funny. We talked about how you know, how unique that back four was. We're never going to see it again. And then we've seen it again. Um, and yeah, I was just excited to see his perform and hopefully not concede any stupid goals. Reese, what did you make of the performance overall yesterday? Uh, the performance yesterday, if, if I'm being truthfully honest, I thought it was a wee bit below par. I thought we were really slow passing the ball in the back and I thought there was lots and lots of backward passes. And it, it, in my opinion, I feel, it seemed like there was a bit of a a lack of urgency. Um, of course, there was bright spots throughout the game and we had plenty of chances, but it just felt like nothing was ever going to fall for us on the day. Um, and don't get me wrong, I thought Fitzy and McKinnon in particular were excellent. And I'm thinking back to last week, we spoke about levels and how it was par for the course that Harry Mills was a 7 or an 8 out of 10. And if I'm being harsh, I would probably say that was his poorest game for us yet. Um, while still being fine, he was still good, but I just feel like he didn't play his natural game. He didn't get a lot of balls into the box like we've seen before. But Let's be honest, in my opinion, Hamilton will finish amongst the bottom three. And as I said earlier, I thought we looked I thought we looked poor and I sorry, I thought they looked poor and they never really troubled us. And if we have intentions of winning the division, then these are the games you need to be winning. And you can say it's game two of the new season and I get we're top of the league, we're still unbeaten, but I'm just being super critical of this performance because I would have loved to have been sitting comfy at the top of the league. 
it's, it's two points dropped for me, but that's just the way I see it. Jamie, do you agree? Yeah, I feel like it's two points dropped as well. You know, we're at home to Hamilton, who, no disrespect, but I don't think they'll be. I don't think they'll be in the top four this season. But it's kind of a game you're looking to win def- at home. You can't. It's just these games just frustrating. You sometimes look back on a season and you go, oh, we drop points there, we drop points here, and we don't want any game to any home game to be one of those this season, to be honest. And you want to, without any, you know, kind of cliches, well, make for a hell of fortress, all that crap that they always end up saying in the interviews. But realistically, you do want to have a really good home record and it's not, it's not the best start. I don't think we were great yesterday. I saw McCall just saying that he thought we were, you know, great to watch stuff. Don't think I agree with that. I don't think we were great to watch. First half up at Dundee was 10 times better than that, in my opinion. I just don't think we were at our best yesterday, but hopefully we can shake it off and do better next week. And David, what about you? Um, yeah, much echoing what Reese and Jamie said. I think it's probably, I talked a couple of weeks ago about how we watch these games and we're probably a bit more overly critical of ourselves in the moment. And then afterwards, watching it back, you enjoy it more and you get more out of it. I don't think anybody's going to be watching this back apart from the bizarre goal and maybe, you know, Graham's goal or whatever. But yeah, it wasn't the greatest game and I did feel there was a lot of backwards pass and a lot of play around Mitchell that I, I wasn't very happy with and yeah I thought it was, it was a bit more of a cynical performance than we've been used to over the sort of League Cup and the Dundee game and it's especially disappointing because we played so well against Dundee where we looked so bright that you want to continue that on and it, everybody was absolutely buzzing and really excited for the season ahead because of how we had performed and then kind of do this at home against Hamilton and I know we're sticking the boot into Hamilton but I mean they 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 have not had the best summer they don't look an especially stacked side they are probably going to be in the bottom I, I think if this was like a game week 11 or something like that we'd be a bit more kind on it but the fact is after that Dundee game and we just felt really flat and as Reece, I think as Reese said we we did not look like scoring at all until Graham scored, and it just looked at one of those games. You're like, my God, how are we losing to this? Like, it's just Hamilton offered nothing, like literally nothing, and yeah, it's it, it is disappointing. But it's all, it's all it, as well as that. You're top of the league. We can't crumble too much, but it's these sort of results that will cost you leagues. I think I'm a wee bit more up on the performance, just in general. Um, I agree it's two points dropped and I agree that Hamilton didn't really offer much but at the same time you look at the Dundee game and Dundee obviously came out for the win and that gave us a lot of space to play. Hamilton gave us no space to play despite the fact they didn't look up to much. They were very well organised and we did create uh, I'd say four or five pretty decent chances which their goalkeeper uh, Fulton I believe had had a really good game in Hamilton's goal. I think we were a bit slow, especially in the first half. I thought we quickened up in the second half and we looked a bit brighter in the second half. It wasn't a vintage performance and we were just saying off here before we come on. It was, I'd say it was fine. And if we play like that well, in 10 games, you'd probably win six of them. Um, and this was just one of them. You don't. And I'm sure we'll play better this season. I'm sure we'll play worse as well, but I didn't think it was the end of the world. And I was also saying... I. A positive to take away is we've played two league games now and we've not really been cut open in open play yet in three hours of football. You know, we've conceded two from set pieces at Dundee 
without being troubled too much in open play and we weren't troubled at all in open play yesterday. So even with a makeshift back four, we are looking we are looking a bit tighter um, than we did at the tail end of last season where the, the goals did start to look a wee bit after an impressive middle chunk of the season defensively. We seem to have got that back a bit. I was going to say, like the the good thing, I think the positive you can take away from this is I mentioned last week about like the sort of the key for us is to cut, turn draws into wins and losses into draws, and like I don't think like we we look, just looked at one of those days we were going to lose one 0 Hamilton yep. in this awful way, and we did not it just did not look like it was going to be a day at all, and we did get a goal and we got a point, and I think that again in, in years gone by, say like McCall's first season back. Or in the Caldwell season, or even like you know, uh, the last season, where um, we would usually just you know not get the point or not get the win or whatever, but we did actually grind out a point here. And I, and I don't think the subs had a direct impact on the goal, but the the options off the bench, I think they did freshen up a bit and they gave the fans a little bit of a, a boost. I think when you're bringing guys like. Molinon, who you know is good for a goal. Weston was exciting. Tiffany as well. I don't think Tiffany started uh, great yesterday, but I thought he grew into it a wee bit um, as he went on. And I, to be honest, I think we might need to get used to games like that because I think teams are going to come to Farhill. A lot of teams, probably four or five teams, will come to Farhill this season and sit in and play like Hamilton did. And I think it's important that players and fans stay patient and don't start... I don't know, booing at half-time if it's nil-nil or, or getting on the players for a few loose passes because I think we are going to see lots of that type of game at Farhill and hopefully we can find a breakthrough early on and have nice afternoons. But we won't always. We'll talk about um, the big talking point, I suppose, the Hamilton goal. David, you are a huge fan of clown shoes football. Talk us through your thoughts. I know it's sort of split opinion. Was it a mistake? Was it a freak? Um, should Mitchell be dropped, should he not? Sum up your thoughts on the, the incident and more. I mean, when it happens, it just it's just like seeing your entire physical fanhood flash in front of your eyes. Just like, fucks it. We just never escape this nonsense. And for, for most of the game, I'm not going to lie, I was pretty raging at Mitchell and very critical of him because I was like, you, you fucking idiot. How did you do this? But re- looking back on it and with a sort of, the, you know, having slept on it and stuff like that. It's a one in a million goal. Like it's he 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 didn't make like there is no way he could have if you had tell, told him to do that. There's no chance in the world he would have ever been able to do that. It's a complete freak accident. But you do have to look at it of why was he so far out? Why? Do you know what I mean he was not covering the goal whatsoever? And it's. An absolute freak goal that is not helped by Mitchell's positioning, but it, I don't think you can blame him too much for it because it, you'll never see a goal like it again. But he did not cover himself in glory in terms of trying to react to it and stuff like that. Um, it's it's definitely up there on our. We did the ten worst goals we conceded last year at Halloween. It's it's riding right into that charts. Uh, it's got to be up there. Um, in fact, Barry O'Neill, a friend of the show, he was saying that he, when he went to the Woody before, he met someone, and the only time he'd ever met him before is when uh, Maxwell scored that own goal against Clyde. And it's just like, what a cursed person. This person should not be allowed 
in North Glasgow ever again because Jesus Christ, imagine those being like the two games you go to. Well, there's a saying in golf, I know I keep bringing it back to golf, but there's a saying in golf, the better you are, the luckier you are. And I've never heard anyone say like the, the reverse of that, but I think it's sort of true for this. So like the the worse you are or the more mistakes you make, the unluckier you will get. So I think it was a bad decision, first of all, for Mitchell to come out. And then I think it's a really bad kick. And obviously it's a free kick hits McMillan and bounces in. But he sort of deserved how unlucky it was just because two such bad decisions or one bad decision and one bad execution. <laughs> if it didn't hit McMillan, it might have dropped an Aki's player with an empty net. I don't think it was great um, for Mitchell, to be honest. Reese, do you think Mitchell should keep his place? I know where it's turned into a weekly discussion about the goalkeeping position, but has your views changed on that one? Well, it's, as you, as you just said there, like it's becoming... You're getting sick and tired of how the goalkeeping debate we're needing to have every week. It's going on for the past three seasons or so. Um, and it's, it just happens to be it's brutal that this comes off the back of us talking about Mitchell's distribution and his footwork last week. One thing I will say, though, I don't think Mitchell will change the way he plays. He's still going to be looking for the ball anytime it's played around the back. And he's still going to keep getting involved in the build-up. And I was watching him scream at the ball boys and he was sprinting and searching a new ball as soon as the ball would leave the pitch. And... Let's just hope it's not a case of old habits dying hard when it comes to him like, like trying to play with his feet. But as David's mentioned, it, it's it, the own goal was a disaster. It's one of the things I just hate in football if we get if we get done by a comical own goal. And as David's said, when you watch it back, like Hamilton didn't trouble us at all. It was a freak own goal. It's, he's actually leathered at 35 yards and it's hit McMillan in the stomach. And it's like it's generally one in a million. You can try that another million times and it, it doesn't it doesn't come off. But I, you can't. We've done it up ten times, but you can't keep dropping keepers as soon as they make one error. Like it's not good for anyone's confidence. It's not going to help Snedden either when he comes in knowing I've got one shot. I've, I can only fuck up once. So I'd probably, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have started Mitchell in the first place at the beginning of the season. But now that we've went with him, you've got to keep him in for another. He's got another shot, basically. And if it happens again, then you look at bringing in Snedden. It is harsh on Snedden, but you don't want to keep chopping and changing every time one of them makes a slight error. No, I totally agree, Reese. Uh, I wouldn't have dropped Snedden in the first place, but I think if you're you're backing Mitchell to be your man, you've got to give him more than more than one mistake before you take him back out. Jamie, what about you? Any anything to add on the the goal and the goalkeeping position? I mean, the goal is just uh, like we said, it's a free home goal, but. I just find it so frustrating because, like I was saying in the chat earlier, I feel we just have way too many of these recently. Last season, I was saying I can think of three off the top of my head. Harry Stone, it's not even a freak on goal. This it was just a huge error up at our both when he passed the ball straight to Nicky Lowe, was it? I can't remember who it was. And then um, there was the one with Snedden up at Inverness when he sprints at the ball, it bounces over him. He misjudges it, they end up scoring. Then there was the other one when Snedden's punted it off. I think it was David Moyle for Hamilton. And then they've scored in that awful game of Ohio. And obviously now another one yesterday. It's just to feel like we're never never rid of these comical goals. If you think but even back a few years ago, I think we conceded a ridiculous one against Martin. I think Scott Tiffany, I think, who scored that were Elliot and Sned ran into each other and then Tiffany like scored from like forty yards or something. And then, honestly, we've just you can go back over the last few years and we're always conceding these ridiculous goals and 
I swear we never score any of these kind of ones. We just always concede them and it's time to cut them out. It's so frustrating to watch. Just I feel it's just one of those things that irritates you the most a fan is when you concede an avoidable goal, especially ridiculous avoidable goals. It's just it's infuriating. And I feel bad communication was also a part of it yesterday. I just wanted to ask you, Jamie, in all seriousness, how do you cut this out? What what the do you need to just get a a a, a juju witch doctor in or something to like grace the pitch or like it's I don't know I know it's always us that it happens to even with stuff like the goal score against Morton and stuff like that but how, what what's the contingency plan for this What the fuck can you do? Yeah, it's just stupid things though because like see when you think back to this Nedden one at Inverness, it just comes off his line for no reason and the one yesterday. Let it bounce another two yards and pick it up with your hands. Like there was, there's just no danger there, and we just were they were the architects our own downfall. A um, couple of listener questions have come in about the the halftime entertainment. Um, Blakey asked David, I'll come to you on these ones because I know you're a huge fan. Blakey asked, what halftime entertainment would you choose? And friend of the show, um, John has asked, what halftime entertainment would you willingly suffer if it guaranteed a three 0 win? So David. Two questions. What would your dream halftime entertainment be? And then what's the worst thing you think you could endure for, for three points? Oh, um, I, I, I don't know. Like, I know this is incredibly controversial. I, like, Oasis are, like, my least favourite band in the world. I think I'd watch an Oasis tribute band. In fact, I remember, do you remember the guy in Glasgow he used to sing Wonderwall every day for eight hours on Buchanan Street. The bus scout was his only song. Get him in. I'd, I'd do that for halftime entertainment. He was awful, but I'd do that for three points. That's fine. Um, in terms of halftime entertainment, I'd want, I don't know. I always, I did enjoy Kingsley and the Paisley Panda racing each other at St Mirren. That was my favourite one. I, I, I will say, I did really enjoy the halftime entertainment on Saturday. It's complete nonsense, right? But our club is entirely steeped in nonsense. Look at the goal that we conceded about 10 minutes before. Uh, arguably, this was far more sensible and rational than that goal. Speaking as someone who has previously mentioned they played a ghost cow in a play, um, I am well up for some absolute art school pish. It's it's great. Um, more of that. Maybe a mime, quite like a mime. I think that would be some laugh. I, I just love the juxtaposition of this well-meaning, completely harmless performance at, up against a backdrop of fans who absolutely don't want to watch this under any circumstances. Never mind when we are losing, because when we do this, we are always losing. It is absolutely destined, written in stone. If we do anything like this, we will be losing at halftime when it happens. And I love I love the juxtaposition of these people booing. So maybe get some mimes in or something like that. Get the mimes dodging pies. I think that would be great. Alternatively, alternatively, I do think Mascot Olympics is the way to go. Various feats of strength, Kingsley against get um get the boiler man in from West Brom, get the sexy fly back, even have Lego Dave. Hurdles, I think Kingsley doing the hurdles would be the best thing. I would I would pay so much money to see Kingsley do the hurdles in his kilt just to make it even harder. Yeah, and just stuff like get Gladiator, you know, Gladiators used to have the cotton buds and they'd fight each other on platforms, do that. 
Um, yeah, I think there's there's a whole untapped market of physical challenges that we can put Kingsley through. Who amongst you wouldn't watch Kingsley and Smokey Joe in some sort of World Strongest Man Atlas Stones competition on the pitch? We, we'd all watch, I, I think that'd be absolute box office. Get Sammy the Tammy and maybe have like something like two cardboard tanks. Remember, we had the tank as reforms, get Kings a cardboard tanks, put on like Mars the Bringer of War or something like that beforehand. Something like that, I think. There's there's so much untapped potential with Kingsley to put him through his paces. Jamie, Reese, any ideas for some, some halftime entertainment? Um I'm sure we answered this on a pod like years and years ago, maybe episode ten, run about that. But uh, I'm sure I said something like a boxing match or something like one Fistle fan would come at the crowd and one opposition fan would come at their crowd, but I feel like ah. Uh, in this day and age, a Fissile Da Royal Rumble would go down a treat at halftime. Like, could you imagine, like, the floodlights go out and, like, Fritz comes in, entrant number 30, man, like, not no seen the guy in years and he comes back and wins the Royal Rumble at halftime? That would be class. If we ever go for Patreon, the, the first episode will be talking through 30 dads to enter the Royal Rumble and, and their credentials. Um, that'll be the first one behind a paywall, I think. Jamie, what about you? I remember David mentioned the thing about Kingsley racing the Paisley Panda. Was that the same match they had bubble football? Was that the Scottish Cup game? That was, yeah. Yeah, I know. What a throwback halftime entertainment. What, uh, what would that have as halftime entertainment? See, David, you kind of st- I was going to have a similar answer to you. The thing I was going to go for was do you know outside the St. Enoch Centre there's the mad uh, dancing cats? Does anyone know what I mean by that? Yeah. Out of context, that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> The tin, uh, the the buckets and the bins. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that thing. Just a big display, just a big display of that. And the guy who always dances next to it in the pink tracks. So it's great entertainment. I'm sure everyone will love it. I think we did speak about this, and I think just the I, I like the the boxing idea. Just get don't even need to be don't need to get an, an opposition fan involved. There's there's enough guys in our support that would partake in that. I, that would be my my shout. I don't know what I would suffer. 71 reenactment. I would suffer that for three points, but not every week. Maybe like, you know how there was a time where every time a legend died, we'd win. I would, every time we need a win, big games, playoffs, cup matches, put on a wee cup cup final reenactment and ho- hope it's a, a lucky charm. That's what I was, what <laughs> you were going down the route of. Yeah. <laughs> And I'll probably get I'll probably get cut one to I but what do, do you not remember the time there was like three legends died Aye. within about six months and we fucking won like yeah. every I think it was the relegation season, it was the only games yeah, we yeah, won. John was like, and David McFarlane. <laughs> we, we still got the whole nineteen seventy one League Cup team. Like they're all still alive, man. We are winning the Premier League you in know what? Like, would, the next five years. A half time show I would take is like a five aside game. With all the players we never actually saw play for us, so like Jason Banton's in there, Mitch Austin's in there, Adam Devine, Declan Glass, we get to see what we can do in a thistle pitch at Fort Hill. That's a good one. I like that. And anyway, we'll move on before we wish death on like Alan Ruff or something. Um, we'll look ahead to the Queen's Park game then. Um, we have Duncan Rayburn on the show now to preview Queen's Park, giving us the lowdown on the Spiders.
I'm now joined by my good friend and Queen's Park fan, Duncan Rayburn. Duncan, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Matt. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Um, last time you were on, I believe Queen's Park were a League Two club. It was about two years ago. We were about to play you behind closed doors in the League Cup. Mm. And it seems a, seems a long time ago. Yeah, it really does, both uh, good and bad reasons. Uh, but, you know, I imagine a lot of good uh, on your end uh, with a lot of stuff in between. But uh, I'm just happy to be here. I guess the, our project is continuing successfully. <laughs> So I just talk us through like the last couple of years from a from a Queen's Park perspective then because it's been pretty eventful on and off the park. It's been a roller coaster. So what you say was it? We were just starting our League Two season. Uh, we're first as a, a a big money club. But you know, uh, the, I mean the the short uh, Rima Canera definitely went very well. Definitely a lot different from what you'd maybe be expecting when people say Rima Canera. Like, I mean it was the COVID season which uh, kind of added to it. So it was mostly you know watching this new thing through streams was uh, certainly very 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 weird watching you know we signed all these big players but we can't actually go and see them yet um uh, but which was you know a season of kind of grinding it around doing the job definitely you know one at a canter as i think most clubs who have subsequently gone into uh league two have done there but you know i don't think we won more than three nil that season and even the three uh now was only like maybe twice so pretty grindy uh very different to last season you know, still pretty in shock. Uh, we got promoted in the end. Uh, started very well, unlike this season. I think we beat Cove, beat Dumbarton. Seemed like we were going to maybe blow the league away, especially after Falkirk looked uh, absolutely atrocious. And we just kind of fell into a, a, a massive uh, rut of draws, mostly 1-1 one, one draws. I think there was like 10 in a row or something like that. Here we go. <laughs> going for 55. Yeah, I think when you only see the record actually for a minute, or one shot or something, the record one one draws uh, a team can have in a season, something ridiculous like that. Anyway, it was it was pretty frustrating. Managed just about sneak into the playoffs. I will say, uh, even during those one one draws, we were like pretty from we were still pretty hard to beat. Like I think even Cove won like there were twenty seven points ahead of, ahead of us and beating the league when we were forced. But they never beat us once that season. And in fact, we beat them once, so we had a, a better record. The only problem was I don't think we ever beat East Fife, who came bottom uh, that entire season. So you know it was it was like that, and then gone to the playoffs, got a couple of hard fought uh, wins. So a lot of people attribute that to Owen Coyle coming in. Uh, we'll see how true that was in the in the future, maybe. Uh, see if that sticks. But uh, yeah, uh, you know, very enjoyable ones against the Fellman and then and the Edry two uh, massive clubs, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll go on to um, Owen Coyle and uh, this season in a minute. I just wanted to ask you, the game on Saturdays, obviously, at, at Stenhouse Muir. Um, how's Lesser Hamden coming along? What's that been like, being effectively homeless for a couple of years now? Um, well, is it coming along? That's the, that's the question. <laughs> I think it's been, what, two years now since we've actually started work there. Uh, and, you know, I, I think at this point, everyone just points out the amount of uh, teams that have decided to build a new stadium or a new stand, put the plans in place, built that stadium or a stand, and the time it's taken us to like put up like one steel bar or whatever it is. Uh, I think I think part of the problem was uh, the first company we got to do it just turned out to be absolutely a horrible job. So we had to fire them, took them to court, lost, and then got this uh, this new company and they hired. And they seemed to be eventually getting around to those uh, works very 
very slow. They keep saying it's going to be ready at some point in the season. I think everyone who, you know, a lot of Queen's Park fans love around the south side and go walks around it and they you can kind of see with your eyes that's probably not going to be true. I think uh, I think the steel barriers that make up the stand have gone up recently, which made it look a bit better, but still still a long way to go. So we've got to get Any used hopes to... of getting in this season? I, I, you know, I, I, every time you hear from a club official or a, a statement, they still seem to be planning on it, which maybe says something. And I think um, at Fort Hill last season, uh, at the, the Airdrie game, the, the playoff, uh, a lot of the BBC camera crews were apparently, well, this is the rumour that they were told to prepare to go to Lesserhampton next season. Again, it doesn't look like that much progress has been made, though. So I'm staying cynical and saying, no, we'll have to stick for travel around central Scotland and any stadium that's available for the moment. So yeah, you had your first home league game on Friday night there, a, a disappointing 3-2 collapse. And yeah. How is this, apart from that, obviously disappointing, <laughs> a good start to the season up at Inverness and a sort of mixed league cup campaign. How, how are you feeling that the season's gone so far and how are you feeling going into Saturday's game? Uh, well, I'm definitely a lot less optimistic <laughs> than I was uh, even just a week ago. Um, I mean, I, I was never that optimistic about going into uh, a game of party festival. You, you seem to have signed pretty well over the season. You did pretty well last season as well. Uh, and, I, you know, I've not, been the, not played it too many times over the past few years, but it's always uh, been uh, a kind of losing uh, fixture for us. But, um, yeah, after after Andrew I'd say I was I was feeling pretty positive. They are tough sides. They you know got to the playoff final last season, uh, won in the first leg of it. Am I right? And uh, to come away up there with a draw, what was pretty good. Uh, especially going after the League Cup campaign, we basically showed we can beat League Two teams no bother. And then when it came to Dundee, we presented like we were pretty terrible the first half. Again, it was up steady. I I wasn't there, but we seemed to come back a wee bit in the second. Though a lot of that was to do with substitutions and. The, the Hamilton game I was at, we took a long time to get into it. We seemed to be a team of, like, maybe have one really good half in us and then just, like, uh, you know, completely collapse uh, at some point as that game at air showed. I was busy in the pub debating chickens at that point. So <laughs> uh, I can't comment too much, but it seems the, the same as even against Inverness, really. Uh, first half, we looked like we could have beaten them, like, 3-0. And then second half, you know, we're just hanging on the eye for uh, one point. So, well, you know, I, I'm a I'm somebody that used well still does follow Bolton and used to follow Owen Coyle yeah. at Bolton. I seem um, to have a lot of strong opinions on Owen Coyle. Uh, <laughs> week second halves was a, an Owen Coyle trait at Bolton. So, how has Owen Coyle been um, since he came in, sort of unofficially last season and officially this season? Uh, can't say uh, much t- too bad yet. To be fair to me, they really did. They seemed to give the the team a boost at the end of last season. Again, I thought of Insepid. On one draws, um, first on Laurie Ellis and then uh, under Martin Bucher, our head of development, who really didn't want to seem to be manager for as long as he was. I think he was there like half a season, and then uh, every post-match interview, he just seemed absolutely raging uh, that he was still having to be in this job when he was like, you know, really wanting to work with the kind of youth teams more. Uh, so you know, at that even before the playoffs, you could see when Owen Coyle came in, there was a even though I don't think he was officially manager yet, he was in the sidelines, and there was a bit of kind of morale boost. He's also comes off pretty well in his interviews. Uh, I think he seems like a especially, you know, compared to other managers who are very kind of like robotic by numbers. He seems like a, a genuine good guy. And most people who have met him, uh, fans and members alike seem to agree. 
Uh, a lot of players seem to agree as well. Uh, one thing I know would come ex-players though, like you said, with the the fitness, they seem to agree. He was you know, a really nice guy and knew how to get the a kind of morale boost out of his players. A lot of that maybe comes with like tempting them with chocolate and treats, which doesn't do for the fitness. But um, yeah. what I heard from Bolton was like the the training, the actual football training and fitness training, very minimal. As as long as he got like a table tennis tournament and at the end of the day he was happy. <laughs> I heard I heard one ex player was it maybe maybe online maybe in Bolton who's he went to after Bolton. Oh he's he's ruined like almost every <laughs> Lancashire club. There was, Burnley, there was Bolton Wigan Blackburn. Blackburn I think it was an ex Blackburn player I just remember and this was before he signed with us so I just like remember him discussing the boys and he thought oh yeah he's the best guy in the world but he used to every training he used to have like a like a five a side match. And the best player, the man of the match, got a ten of quality streak. <laughs> he was like, was fantastic, always used to win, but I'm a waistline, like, doubled in the season. <laughs> well, if, if it works for you, if come, come me, I'm sure yeah. you and the press will be delighted. Oh, and talking about the buddy gained, like, £50. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Simon Murray there, and I'm, I'm guessing he's going to feature in your next answer. Who are the, who are the danger men we should be looking out for? Yeah, Simon's definitely up there. He's like he can be a very frustrating player at times, and especially you know, last season, he has a tendency to miss a sitter. I will say most of the sitters he missed, you know, they wouldn't have been chances if it wasn't Simon Murray in the ball. He does, you know, he does a lot of work. He's got the pace, he's got the skill to get past defenders. The eye for goal uh, is lacking definitely a lot of the time, except you know, in big games, he's he's always come out. Uh, the playoffs last season being the basic, biggest examples, both in, against Inferman and Airdrie and. Uh, so remember in uh, against Edinburgh in League Two, where it was basically the you know the game that was going to decide whether uh, we were going to just cancel the league or not. Uh, we were down like two two one two nil, and he came up with two goals at the end. So he's he's definitely a, a kind of big game mentality to him. Uh, other than Simon Murray, um, Charlie Fox at the back got a really good reputation last season. He's you know yet maybe been a bit edgy this season uh, better going forward uh, passing the ball than he is uh, defending but last season he was like uh, a shining light and a, a really poor period for us uh, possibly uh, you can even include your ex-player Tommy Robson in that who is I don't think he had the best time at Thistle from, from what I hear I, I remember uh, a lot you and a lot of us like David Warner maybe he was not going to be the greatest but he's in, in League 2 he was definitely a a very shaky battles. He's he came on leaps and bounds last season, uh, defensively especially. Some as well, and uh, maybe finally uh, Grant Savory, who we just signed from from Peterhead last season. I don't I don't actually remember playing him last season at all. But uh, when he came in, like all his reviews, like he was uh, amazing, and I gotta agree. Like since I've I've seen him play for us, he's really good at that kind of just playing behind the striker number ten role. Just he's about replaced Liam Brown, who is also you know tapered off a bit uh, and he, you know, he's got that really exciting kind of energy to him especially for someone so young so I'd, I'd go for those four yeah. We'll keep an eye on them we'll maybe stick Stuart Bannigan on one or two of them um, <laughs> on Saturday if he's in the team uh, a, couple of <laughs> <laughs> a couple of predictions then um, firstly where do you think Queen's Park will finish this season? Oh, you asked me a week ago um, uh, maybe tempting uh, with some playoff talk uh this week, I'm back to how it was maybe at the start of the season. I'm just happy to stay up. 
to be honest. Even with uh, you know, a lot of people saying there's quite a few pure teams in the championship, I think we could be one of them if we don't get our, you know, our fitness levels and our, our stamina sorted out. So I'd be you know, maybe seventh uh, at push at this point. You know, it's, it's still early days, so we'll see. But happy to just keep in safety. And uh, from what I hear, I don't think I really want to have a chance to go up while we're still playing at like Stenhouse Muir. Imagine. Uh, Aberdeen or something coming down and we have to fit all the fans in. And, yeah. and a score prediction for, for Saturday's big game? Going to be optimistic, go for an exciting uh, 3-3 thriller. 3-3. But David, David uh, spoilers, because this is probably going to go in before we get to the predictions, but David's gone for a, a repeat of the game 10 years ago at Hamden <laughs> um, in his predictions, so we'll see. I should have done that in the reverse. Uh, that <laughs> silent revenge. Uh, to finish off, uh, you were out with, uh, I've, I've name-checked him already, our good friend Alistair, and mm-hmm. who claimed he could fight and kill a thousand chickens <laughs> um, in a cage. Uh, do you have any advance how many chickens you could beat in a fight? Would you Would you talk I a mean, thousand? No, I mean, no, I don't think anyone's got the prowess Alistair has, especially uh, when it comes to killing, killing animals. It is important to state that this is a, a purely <laughs> hypothetical scenario, and any chickens harmed will. It, so yeah. only in that only in that realm they will go back to their their natural habitat after this engineered scenario. Um, I I think my main question was: Are they like are they organised? Is this a kind of like a chicken run situation? Have they got like a command structure? Are they teaming up with me? Or are they just like flying around like headless? So. It's, it's, che- it's random chickens just plucked from across the world. Mm-hmm. After you take out a few, they, they might begin to realise what you're up to and they, they might gang up against you. That's that's you the see, risk you've got to take. You see chickens from across the world, like different regional chickens have different attitudes to... to <laughs> so. I think they could, like you get, we could get a wild chicken who's used to sort of fending <laughs> for itself. Well, maybe I... I mm. I'd, I'd say less than a hundred. I don't know if they go. They go really crazy. Uh, again, I'll be. Yeah, it wouldn't last too long. It probably takes quite a lot to kill a chicken as well. I feel they're quite sturdy. Maybe go down to fifty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Duncan, thank you very much for your time. Queens Park are coming seventh. <laughs> drawing three three on Saturday, and you think you could take on fifty chickens? It's it's been an absolute pleasure. I'll come to you first on the Queen's Park game. Any changes you'd like to see to the starting eleven, and if so, who would be unlucky to to miss out? Because we spoke about the a potential first choice back four coming in at the the weekend, there, and it didn't quite materialise. And I put a question in the chat earlier: Should we have maybe tried Kyle Turner out at right back last season because he's been very good in the two games so far? So thoughts on Kyle Turner's performances at right back and. Thoughts on the, the Queen's Park team? 
Aye, so in terms of uh, Kyle Turner right back, I think there, there can certainly be a, a good case made for that. And but I definitely don't think that McKenna was as bad as some people would have you believe. And I do feel at times you should be forcing the likes of Kyle Turner into the starting eleven, regardless of where it is, just for the set pieces alone. And as we all seen last season, I think he racked up something like uh, 12, 13 assists or something. And that's that's from being sort of a bit a bit part player. He didn't start every week, and I know he made quite a lot of sub appearances, but with more time in the park, you just think you could probably get another five or so assists. Um, but of course, as I say, we could definitely have benefit, benefited from that at stages last season, but um, there's no point in looking back now too much. Um, and it, it definitely does put in a shift at right back, but I'm getting shudders down my spine thinking about thinking back to East End Park last season. But uh, moving on to the, the Queen's Park game, I think it could be a pretty nervy start to the game. Um much the same as we saw at the weekend. And I do think Queen's will have a, a decent enough campaign this season. I can see them fighting for promotion playoff places, maybe just falling short, maybe sitting fifth come May. But as I say, I think it'll be a decent test for us. There are definitely no pushovers and they've added some nice players to their team. But there's other areas where I think they just haven't built on. And there's just a couple on their side who are probably lucky to be seen another uh, campaign at championship level. And one of my good mates from work, he's a Queen's fan, so I always keep an eye on their results and I, I watch their highlights on Friday night and, wow, what a collapse they had. It was very, very Thistle-esque, circa 2017 at least. But that being said... It was a very Thistle-esque um, collapse and Bolton are my English team and it was also a very um, own Coyle-esque collapse, so that's one to keep an eye on. Um, Jamie, starting 11 on Friday night, anything you'd like to see different from the last couple? Uh, yeah, realistically, I was only going to make too many wholesale changes. I'd probably bring Darren Burnley in to the starting uh, back four if he's fit enough to play 90 or at least make a start. I'd like to see Kyle Turner played through the middle. Again, I know we've discussed this numerous times about you know, who's going to get dropped at the middle three. I'd probably just stick with the answer I've been saying the whole time so far and probably just drop Bannigan, to be honest. I don't, I don't think Bannigan's been terrible or anything, but out of the three, I think, I think Doherty... I think Cole McKinnon's undroppable right now. I think Kyle Turner, I like to see him play for the middle. I think he looked good there in the League Cup games. and I just can't see Doc can drop, so realistically, I think he'll probably ban again. And then the big debate is, oh, do you drop Mitchell for Sned, don't you? I don't know. Like I know there's a thing about shattering a goalkeeper's confidence, but I said in the chat the other day, I feel if Sned had done that at this stage of the season, McCall would drop him in a heartbeat. I know we've said it before, but I just don't think McCall rates Sned. So for that reason, I think Mitchell will keep his place. If I'm honest, I can't see him bringing Sneddon back in, but I don't know. You never know. Some lineups sometimes they surprise you. David, I noticed you edited out your additional Bannigan slander at the end of last week's podcast after I stuck up for him. Um, I don't think he did his best game on, on Saturday there, so I think I agree with Jamie if, if Turner does get moved into midfield. I think Bannigan might be the, the most droppable after Saturday there, but David, what about you? Um, starting 11 predictions, thoughts for Queen's Park? Yeah, I, I didn't think that putting in a comment about Bannigan's reporting skills as a newscaster was a very uh, fair comment, so that's why I edited it out. But I don't think that's what your comment was <laughs> about, David. In terms of the Queen's Park game, I don't know. I, I'd like to see Tiffany come in. Um, I know we don't want to kind of overcook him and leave him sitting on the bench for so long, but as well as that, we don't want to rush him back and then, you know, he's just not up to speed or whatever. I believe it's 18, but we are on an unprecedented run against Queen's Park where we've beaten them the last 18 times. That's the longest we have ever done against any club. I'd tempt and fate here, I know, but 
it's it 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 does worry me to be honest that like I mean one of the big things with the Jags Foundation has been about how Queens Park are on our tails they're going to be the third team in Glasgow soon if we don't do something all that and it, it the moment has come where we're in the same league and like realistically you know could could lose to Queens Park it is it is quite a pivotal game for us not just necessarily in terms of the season but I think just in terms of us our stature as a team in Glasgow where we've always been sort of the the third team like outright for about what a hundred odd year and yeah I, I, I'd like to see Tiffany come in I think you're probably right in that Bannigan um, he's not he's, he doesn't have his best game on Saturday and yeah McKinnon was really really good he's definitely making a case to oust Bannigan we're not going to see Dockery dropped um, so yeah um, I'd probably see McKinnon and Doherty. Uh, with I'd like to see Turner um, in the middle. He's been really great at right back. He, he's a very versatile player, but him in his natural position would be great. And I, I think it'll be a great game. Um, it's not one that I am overtly confident about, as I would say, the Hamilton game, for example. I know we drew it, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Who are you dropping for Tiffany then? <sighs> well, that's it, isn't it? Because it's like, I was at Fitzy or Lawless. Um, I actually thought Lawless was unlucky to be taken off yesterday when he was. I know, again, it's like, who do you take off? But I thought Lawless was probably our best player in the first half. Uh, just on a side note, sorry. Who would you drop yeah. I mean, I, I'd probably agree with you. And I'd, I'd probably say in that case, it probably would be Fitzpatrick. But it's quite harsh in Fitzpatrick. But, I mean, if, if you're Fitzpatrick coming in this team, you know Scott Tiffany is, you know, pretty much first name in the team sheet. Unless something happens to his injured or whatever, so I, I don't think it'd be too much of a surprise. I'd probably drop Fitzpatrick, but it's not like he's des- he's deserved to be dropped. I just think that getting Tiffany back in and getting him up and running is is going to be vital for us. So yeah, it's probably going to be Fitzpatrick to be honest. Predictions then? Uh, none of us predicted a draw. We were all going for Thistle wins at the weekend, so the the standings are the same. I'm on eight points, and the rest of you are on seven. I'll go first this week because I think I'm, I'm always last and I don't want to be accused of of copying to hold on to my lead. So I've gone a 2-1 Thistle win this week. I, I still don't think we're, we're there for a clean sheet. Um, I think there's a, a mistake or a, a set piece in there that Queen's Park can exploit. But I do think we'll get, get a couple of goals and I'll go for 2-1 Thistle. Jamie, what about you? Yeah, clean sheet. I'm not too confident on. So I'll say 3-1 Thistle. Reese. I am. I'm also going to say Queen's Park 1, Party Thistle 2. I'm going to stick with you, Matt. Um, I can see Queen's Park maybe getting a goal. I can also see us going a couple too because um, I'm actually really looking forward to this game. I always quite enjoy going to Stenny. We always seem to, to pack out the wee sort of shed behind the goal. It always looks pretty good when you see a photo of it. So I, I can see us getting a couple of goals and hopefully three points to add to the, to the current tally. David, what about you? Yeah, I'm same. I, I don't think we're keeping a clean sheet. But I, I, I do think we will win. We're going 19 and 0. I think um, t- overwhelming temptation to say 5 4 again and a repeat of that insane Ravens Cup game. Fuck, why not 5 4? What, what a game! And it will be me, you, and the Setsy Fly and the Senhousemere Social Club afterwards <laughs> having a pint. Right, we've got one, one more serious question before we move on to a couple of daft ones. Um, Ross Alexander's asked, uh, "Who do we think are the biggest threats for?" the league promotion this year outside Dundee 
uh, I assume were considered under threat despite their, their first 50 minutes last week. Um, so a couple of games in, Reese, who's caught your eye? Well, that's the thing that no one's really caught my eye so far. Um, I sent in them my predictions for we done like a full table at the beginning of the season before a ball was kicked and I said the top four would be us first, Dundee second, Inverness third and Arbro fourth. But obviously we beat Dundee in the first day and Arbro and Inverness haven't really got it going and I sort of tipped Air, um, Air and Morton to finish bottom two and they're both sitting up there with us. So I think a lot of, a lot of things will change and I can see Inverness and Dundee being our nearest challengers and sort of top three. Um, but that being said, it's always it's always tough to call a ten team league. I always think in the championship, like you always get one well off the mark. Somebody will have a really good start to the season and they'll just build on it. And you look at the likes of Dunfermline last year; they were heavily tipped to win the league. The, the amount of bodies they bought in, and as we all know that that's always kind of a recipe for disaster. And it proved to be the case. They ended up going the opposite direction. So. If I was to pick a couple, well, as I know you said outside Dundee, if there was to be one other challenger, I'd probably look at Inverness building on last season. Yeah, I think I agree as well. Jamie, what about you? Yeah, I'm just going to say Inverness as well, realistically, I think, outside of ourselves and Dundee. I think I'd tell them to finish third in my pre-season predictions and just stick with that. I think they'll be the other challenger. I don't know if they'll be as close to us and Dundee and what I'm seeing what I'm thinking but I think they'll be up there anyway Hi David I'll come to you for Patrick Thistle um, this was a, a hot topic in the pub uh, shout out to the Monte and East Kilbride like the bar staff gave us uh, far too much of their time and patience on this one after we asked them how many chickens we thought they could beat in a fight so the general scenario is you're in a cage imagine the cage is about the size of like a centre circle and for each chicken you defeat, you get like a thousand pounds, right? So it's it's worth fighting as many chickens as possible. But if you if you die, you're dead. How many chickens could you overcome in a fight to the death, David? I mean, average, averagely all, selected chickens from across I, the world. So if you get like a rabid one, that's that's just your luck. I would like to say, um, on behalf of a lot of my friends who are vegan, this is a barbaric question. However. Um, they see the, the 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 cash prize element is is very interesting because it's like well do you go for too many and try and just rack up the, the the money and see how you get on or do you kind of just take the easy win and say like or like nine or something like that? give me a give me a bar like what were other people saying just so well, I know one of the bar staff said sixty three I said one hundred and fifty and my mate, my mate said a thousand but we we questioned him on questioned him on that. I feel like if you started going through maybe like 10, the chickens might sort of wise up and go, right, to put a stop to this guy. I don't know. They can't run away. So I, They're going to set themselves up to be hard to beat, aren't they? And they're going to yeah. they're gonna park the bus and sit in. And I, I don't know. Chickens have, those talons are, I, I would not want to be, I would, I would not want to be on the end of the, either the beak or the claws, um, to be honest. Um, uh, I will go for a fissile answer this one. I'll say 71. Good answer. Reese. See, like, because of our partridge fissile questions, me and Jamie are normally quite poor. So obviously you send in the, the question now. So when you sent it in, I was having a wee think about it, and I'm like, how many, like, how many chickens could I fight? Like, I was just thinking maybe a ballpark, 10 or 20. But then I didn't realise there was money on the line, and it was a fight to the death. So it's a bit of a sticky one. I was thinking like a ballpark, 
twenty or something. But if it's if it's if there's money on the line and you're fighting to the F and I hope I hope Peter aren't listening because you're you're going out swinging. You're winning you're winning that battle by any means necessary. I I'm, you're definitely thinking a hundred plus. You're racking up the money and you're taking bodies. I can't I can't think of a number, but I I, I don't think I don't think I'm getting killed by a chicken. <laughs> I'll, I'll just, I'll chip in here. Like This is obviously a very hypothetical situation which could only be constructed in, in a world of mad te- technological advancements. So the chickens that we that we get in for this, they can respawn. They'll come to no harm. But if, if you get killed, that's you dead. So we're, we're covered with, we're not actually hurting chickens here. Uh, Matt, see, my theory on this, my mentality like with game shows is that I would only go on a game show that I could theoretically quit my job if I won. So none of this lightning push where you win like 400 quid or anything like that, right? Like I need a sizable, like at least like two or three years of my wage so I can quit and just quit my job for it and just, you know, live as a lady of luxury for a year or two. And I think like 71 chickens, 71 grand, I could probably, well, depending on how big my lecky bill gets, but um, I could probably quit my job for a wee while and just... Um, not they'll wonder how I got all the money, and I just have to tell them I won the pools or something like because I'm not going. I I murdered 71 chickens for this, but um, but I know that's my so that seems like an achievable goal of if you win this, you get to quit your job for a couple of years. Um, so I there you go. Seventy-one grand might you get might get you through next winter on heating bills. Um, Jamie, how many chickens you are you feeling bold? See, so we're saying that. When I saw you said that, I didn't really know. It's such a random question. I didn't know what to, what number to think. But yeah, like you said, there's money on the line here. So going for the nice round figure, a hundred. I think that's sensible. Do we have any comment from our friend um, Alistair, if you're listening, who who said a thousand? Does anyone I, want to? I have many anyway? comments for Alistair, <laughs> but um. I mean, I'd love to see it. I'd, I'd, I'd be, I'd be great. Oh, yeah. that, that, do you know how you said? What would you like to have as halftime entertainment? Alistair yeah. fighting a thousand chickens is That's is my, my dream halftime entertainment. I think. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Britton, if you're listening, um, <laughs> <laughs> a thousand chickens in the the far house centre circle. You get them, I'll get Alistair. We'll go. We we get rid of Queens Park. How can we fuck the pitch up irreparably <laughs> again? <laughs> exactly. Well, maybe if the pitch was fucked again, we we would have won. Uh, we've been getting we've been getting a bit too woke for our liking, you know, mm. food banks, Gaelic signs, all that. We need some proper, just you know, animal violence to exactly. level it out. Aye. Anyway, I, I'm sure absolutely nobody has reached this stage of the podcast after a good five or six minutes on chickens. So we will leave it there, and we will be back next week to look back on hopefully a victory away at Queens Park and to look ahead to the following Friday night's game at home to Inverness. David, Reese, and Jamie, thanks very much for joining me. And in the meantime, stay safe and buy a season ticket. <laughs> <laughs>